Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Good morning, welcome to Cornerstone Church. My name is Mike Jones. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. You guys are looking really good this morning. Why don't you tell somebody next to you they're looking good? Unless it gets you in trouble. Don't tell them if it gets you in trouble. It's good to see you today. So we are, if you've been, been with us for a while, you know that we're moving through the Bible. That's how I, t- I tended to, to roll here at Cornerstone. And last year, we moved through the Old Testament, and, and we just finished that up um, there at the end of January. And now we're preparing in, to get into the New Testament. This year, um, we've, our plan is to go through the Gospels and Acts. Okay, we'll spend anywhere from four to six weeks in each gospel uh, account, and then we'll spend about eight weeks uh, in Acts, as well as a couple other side series um, through the Easter season, summer, and then also in Advent time. And that will bring us to the end of January next year. And so prior, uh, or mixed in, I should say, mixed in every two to three weeks, we'll have a foundational sermon, whether it be on one of our core doctrines or positions, um, or be something in, in regards to one of our essential relationships, just because I think it's important to touch on those relationships and doctrines, not only to keep us grounded, but to keep us just interacting with each other in God-pleasing, mutually beneficial ways. Um, last week, uh, Pastor John Wilson preached a, a message along those veins. It was a foundational message about the deity of the Lord Jesus. Today, in preparation to start Matthew next week, I, I want to share another foundational sermon. And my original plan was to start into Matthew uh, today. And then as I started studying out, I realized that there is a need, a need for uh, a foundational sermon that I've titled The Holistic Gospel. And so as I started preparing and just studying for this sermon I, as I do with all of, all of my sermons, I ask myself the question, so what does this mean? How is this relevant for, for me today? Yes, this is good information, but how does this help people? How, do you, how does this help you and I go home with, with something that will help us in our day-to-day walk with Christ or in our relationships? And what came to me, especially as I was chatting it out with my wife and with Greg, uh, March, our worship director, is that you know, people come to express faith in Jesus for a variety of reasons, okay? For me, it was that when I experienced the love of God for myself, like it's actually beyond words. It's very hard for me to describe, but I must have been 10 or 11 uh, that first time when I just, uh, I think the pastor called us up uh, to the altar and we prayed as a church and, and it was there that I really felt God's presence for the first time. It wasn't uh, until I became maybe 15 or 16 that, that that occurred again in such a powerful way that at that point, I like to consider that my parents' faith became my own faith. Do you know what I'm talking about? When we're preteens and growing up, you know, we, we come oftentimes into this Christian lifestyle because our parents said 
well, you have to go to church. You know, you have to be there. All the way, as long as you live in my house, you're coming to church, was my dad's sort of attitude. Um, and yet, when I became 15, it, there was a transition. Because I had experienced God's love in such a powerful way, it became my faith. It became something that I wanted to do, that I prayed. And, and just about without fail, I can hardly remember a day when I've not read the Bible or prayed or interacted with God in, in some way since then. I'm going on 40 next month. Okay, so we're looking at like 25 years of my faith. How many of you have had that experience? Or you know what I'm talking about. Parents' faith turns into your faith or grandparents' faith turns into your faith. Until you cross that threshold what you really have is this, this lifestyle of Christianity, okay, where you, you maybe live a cleaner life, you know you have these sense of rights and wrongs, but as far as faith is concerned, it hasn't become this powerful, dynamic, life-changing thing for you, okay? And so I, that was for me. And because of my experience, in experiencing the love of God, I can, I can endure unmet expectations. I mean, there's times in my life where, where I felt like God let me down. I felt like, God, you promised this, and I don't see this. This isn't the reality of my life. And, and now in hindsight, I realized, you know, I had to apologize, but I, in hindsight, I realized that God did fulfill his promises in those experiences. But I, I can live with unmet expectations. I can even live with, with suffering for my faith, just so long as I know that God God really loves me and that he is with me. I can even live with, with incomplete knowledge or of, uh, uh, incomplete uh, understanding of all the facts and details that surround creation or, or uh, the end times or some of these biblical things that people like to debate, okay? I, I, can, I, I can live with that because I've come to know that there's always more to know, Right? There's always more to learn, and so I just kind of, well, with the stuff I don't understand, I'll just keep trying, so long as I know that God loves me. That's me. That's, that's what brought me to faith. Now, I realize that, that for other people, though, it can be one of the other three things I mentioned. For some people, it is really all about the facts. They, to, before they come to know the Lord, they want to see the facts that uh, corroborate his birth, his life, his death, and resurrections. For others, it's they want to know that God can relate to their suffering, that God is right there with them, that God knows what it means to go through difficult times, and that he has the power to deliver them, right? And yet for other people, it's all about seeing God's promises fulfilled in their lives. And until they see that, they're not going to express faith in Jesus, Okay? They might have a Christian lifestyle, but they need something. They're, what I'm saying is that there are prerequisites for our faith. Each day we make a choice to express faith in Christ, whether it be for the very first time or for the next time. And each day is a new next time. Today, I choose to serve God. Today is for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Today, I will express faith in Christ. How many of you have made that choice today? Well, you're here, so you've made, you've made that choice, or you're thinking about making that choice. And so, what about you? What, what convinces or convinced you to express faith in Jesus? I'm sure all of us could share a, a testimony of the time that when we, 
we came to know Christ. And in fact, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in a few minutes. So be thinking about that. When we do our stand, stretch, and share break, I'm going to give you a chance to share what was it that convinced you to express faith in Christ. And so we'll have a chance to listen to these stories. And, and there may even be some reasons I haven't mentioned yet. But the point of everything I'm about to say today is while there are many reasons why people express faith in Christ, there is only one gospel. There is only one gospel. And so this leads me to this idea of this holistic gospel. What does holistic mean? Holistic is a, is a term that refers to, uh, uh, means to refer to the, the whole picture, the big picture. Okay, in a medical setting, it's uh, holistic doctors are doctors that, that uh, consider the interconnections between the body, the soul, and the spirit. They're not just concerned with the body, okay, or as counselors, just with your soul, or as a minister, just with your spirit. They're looking at you holistically because the three parts of your existence are, are connected, okay? And the same is true for the gospel. The gospel is... Uh, must be considered holistically because there's only one gospel, even though there are four accounts, okay? And so the holistic gospel, this sermon, my intent is to correct a subtle but common misconception that the four gospel accounts are each separate and unrelated from the others, as if there are four gospels, that's a very common misconception. Oh, you should read John. John is, it's like it's in, like in a bubble apart from the other three or Matthew and so forth. When in fact, it is one gospel about one person written from four different perspectives. Okay, now, now the next logical question is this. Why did we need, why did God give us four accounts of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I can give you at least three answers. The first is this, and I've already alluded to it. It's that different people need different evidence as a prerequisite to expressing their faith in Christ. Different people need different things, and God knows that and appreciates that. And as a result, he prompted four different people in different places at slightly different times to write an account of his son's life, death, and resurrection. You know, there are some pretty, if we look at uh, uh, scripture, there are some pretty momentous uh, occasions referenced, right? You, on one end in Genesis, you got the creation of the world and the universe, really, right? And at the other end, you've got the end of the age. Those are some pretty big things, correct? But how many accounts of Genesis do we have? One. How many accounts of Revelation and end times? One, right? And those, think about how humongous those things are. And yet God didn't find the need to repeat them several times. If you know anything from studying scripture, you know that when God repeats himself a couple times, you know that it, that tends to be an anomaly because he, he tends to be very concise he doesn't mince words or just elaborate for no reason. And so the fact that he prompted four men to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit an account of his son's birth, life, death, and resurrection should signal to us that this is very important. In fact, I go so far as to say that the, the, 
the gospels, the life of Jesus, his death, his resurrection is the pinnacle of our faith. Everything, go ahead in the next couple slides here. I'll come back in just a moment. Go to the, the, the picture there. Yes, thank you. Everything in the Old Testament is leaning towards Christ's coming. It's building to it. It's pointing to it. And then at the pinnacle, we have Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And now from there, we, as New Testament believers, we look back and appreciate his first coming, but we also look forward to his second, okay? This is the event that split time, that split our timeline into two, into B.C. and A.D. Even heathens hold their lives to this timeline of this this. God, man, that came. And so we see God in the scriptures showing us that Jesus' is coming is the pinnacle. It is the, 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 uh, the ultimate event of scriptures. The ultimate. There is nothing higher. Not more so than creation or even in times. It is the point at which Old Testament saints, New Testament saints both look to. And so uh, there's two reasons. The third reason is this, and if you guys can go back a slide, that would be great. The, um, the, sec- the th- third reason is to legally prove the veracity of scriptures. Um, you know, in court, we need, you know, like two or three witnesses to, to make a point. But here God gives us four. He gives us four witnesses to testify to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, which gives us legally more than enough evidence to account it as truth. More importantly, we know that these authors used firsthand eyewitness testimonies to compose their accounts. Matthew and John were disciples of Jesus. They observed his life and his ministry, and they wrote from that experience. Mark, he had the unique privilege of being a a co-minister with three New Testament apostles, Peter, Paul, and Barnabas. And so he wrote from those accounts. And then we have Luke, a Gentile doctor, and the only non-Jewish author of any book in the Bible who worked alongside of, of Paul, right? And he went about carefully composing his account from firsthand testimonies during that time. And so we see three reasons, at least three reasons, why God gave us four accounts The first is because different people need different things as prerequisite to their faith. The second is to legally prove the veracity of scriptures. And the last one is to show that Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection are the pinnacle of the Christian faith. It is the very essence of it. And so this morning, what I want to do in just a few moments uh, is to walk through these authors and just show you what makes their accounts unique and what flavor they brought to the table, I guess you'd say, as far as Jesus's life. What emphasis did they have? And then what need does that, did that speak to then as does to now? And my hope is that if you, if you came today and your faith is hanging by a thread or it needs to be bolstered, it needs to be strengthened, maybe you're walking through difficult times or maybe you're just doubting the facts or maybe you you need to experience God's love again or see his promise fulfilled in your life, I'm gonna point you to one of these gospel accounts and encourage you to begin reading this week, even yet today, perhaps this afternoon, 
that your faith would be strengthened from these gospel writers, okay? And so we'll get to those guys in just a moment. What I want to do right now is I want you to stand. Stand up. Stretch out for a second. Get the blood going. I don't mean do, do yoga. Nobody downward dog in the aisle there or nothing. But uh, I want you to stretch a smidge. And then in the next five minutes, I want you to pair up with somebody, maybe somebody you don't know, and share. Each of you take about two minutes to share uh, what convinced you to express faith in Christ. What, what continues to convince you? What makes you each day wake up and go, I will follow Christ today? Well, maybe tell them where were you or who helped you uh, come to faith or how, how did you know you were right with God? What did you do then? That sort of thinking, okay? So you got about five minutes to do this. Find somebody else to share with, please, and then we'll pick up from there. I'll give you about 15 seconds to wrap up your story, please. About 15 seconds. Awesome. Well, thanks for participating in that. Hopefully you're hanging with me uh, so far today. So, as I said, the purpose of our this uh, sermon this morning is to give you a, a broader perspective, okay? To give you a broader perspective of the Gospels before we get into the details of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over the course of the next several months. I want to set, the, set a, a, um, a foundation, a baseline, basically, that all the, all the other stuff can, can be built on. And so when we get to Matthew, you can go, oh, I, I, I remember what you said about him. And that makes sense why he writes with that particular flavor. Uh, oh, yeah, that Mark, I understand now why his book is so short and because of who he was writing to. And hopefully this will be a sermon uh, that you can refer to uh, again and again. If you aren't aware, it, online uh, in the Listen tab of our website, there is a uh, a place that says foundations. And so all of these foundation sermons that we have been preaching the last 18 months, whether it be about marriage or parenting or um, about the deity of the Lord Jesus or uh, the one true God and so forth, those are all there for, for you to reference again and again. Um, and if you have questions, you can obviously get a hold of me and I'll be glad to sit down with you and chat it through. Um, and so today, looking at the holistic gospel, keeping in mind there are four accounts, but only one gospel. And so as we, um, as I said just a moment ago, at the center of our faith and at the center of each gospel is Jesus. That's about as good as I'm going to draw this morning, okay? <laughs> so Jesus is at the, at the center uh, of it all. And you know what's interesting about the, the Gospels is that only two, not the Gospels, but the, uh, the accounts of Jesus' life, there's only two that mention his birth. Do you know what two of those are? Matthew and Luke. 
Right, Matthew and Luke. So while only two of the four mention his birth, all four mention his life, death, and resurrection. His, especially his death and resurrection. The resurrection of all of these things I spell that right? Does it have two S's or one? Two. Two. You think two? You wouldn't know it, but two R's. Did I spell that correctly? Okay. All right. I don't, I'm sorry I got sidetracked with that, but I looked at that and I thought, hmm, I don't know if that feels right or not. Oh, okay. That's good. That's good. At school, I run the spelling bee, so... I, sh- I should know this. I should know this. My wife likes to tease. Where is she? She's gone. Oh, she likes to tease me. I, t- I tend to hang my hat on being the fourth grade spelling bee champ in elementary school. And so she, oh yeah, that's your, ch- that's your trophy right there. Uh, not, not feeling it this morning though. So <clears throat> we'll do some shorthand. All right, so at the center is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We're gonna go through each of the four just very briefly. We're gonna take them chronologically. Okay, chronologically, which, I don't know if you knew it or not, is exactly how they appear in the table of contents, okay? I don't know if that motivated how they put them in uh, the canon of Scripture, but uh, that is basically what I've found. Now, there is debate, I will uh, say this, there is debate to which uh, was written first. Was Matthew written first or Mark? Uh, The truth is they were probably written at very similar time, somewhere right around 55 to 65 AD. So we're going to start here with Matthew. All right, so Matthew, he's a Jewish tax collector who Jesus called to be one of his 12 disciples. If you read in his account, we see he leaves his tax collecting table, leaves his business uh, at that time and goes and he follows Christ. Whether he continued to work on the side, I'm not sure, uh, but he left at that moment. Okay, um, where he wrote exactly is unknown, but he probably wrote in Palestine, like I said, right around 55 to 65 AD. Now, Matthew's audience, his audience was unbelieving Jews. He was writing to unbelieving Jews who were very concerned about Jewish traditions, genealogies, and the fulfillment of Old Testament law and prophecies. Um, so his purpose was to show these unbelieving Jews that Jesus fulfilled those Old Testament law and prophecies. He was, in fact, the Messiah. He was, in fact, the Savior of the world. And so we see all throughout, but especially in these key verses, if you would turn with me today, turn with me to Matthew. We're just going to read just a verse or two from each uh, gospel. If you go to chapter 1, verse uh, 1, you will see right away, Matthew 1, chapter 1, uh, or verse 1, he says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. He, I mean, he cuts right to the point because that is exactly what those unbelieving Jews were concerned of, uh, about. One, was, did he, was he a Jew? Did he come from Abraham? And one, is he through the Davidic line? Was, did he have a right to be king because they believed that the, the Messiah would be uh, the king? And so he walks down and through. And if you go to verse 16, you will see 
Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And so uh, that's a key verse, in my opinion, that Matthew gets right to the point, shows these unbelieving Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Go to Matthew 5.17. One more verse here, Matthew 5.17. Speaking of the second part uh, of his purpose and that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament and the prophets, he quotes Jesus as saying, Matthew 5.17, don't misunderstand why I have come, Jesus says. I did not come to abolish the law or Moses, of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Another translation says, I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so we see Matthew all throughout his gospel over and over again showing the unbelieving Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world who's fulfilled the Old Testament law and prophets. Now, what is the need that Matthew, uh, perhaps Matthew himself had and Matthew spoke to through his writing for these Jews, okay? Because remember, he was a Jew as well. I believe that it was the need to see God's promises fulfilled. These unbelieving Jews, they were not gonna express faith in Jesus until they were convinced that he was the Messiah and that they had proof of that fact, which is why he started with the genealogies. And so then and now, there are people who they will not express faith in Jesus until they know that God keeps his promises. It's a very big deal for for some people. Will God God keep his promises to me? If God says he's going to provide for me and protect me and surround me with his presence as with a shield, then, then will he actually do that? Because if he's not, well, then just... Never mind, okay? And so if that's you or someone you know, I would encourage you to read through Matthew because Matthew speaks to that need. Um, we, on the other end, or the next book, we have Mark. Let me record that. God keeps promises. Okay, next, we've got Mark. Now, as I said earlier, Mark was a Jewish man who had a unique privilege of ministering alongside of three apostles, uh, Peter, Paul, and Barnabas, okay? And so we have uh, Mark's audience is Roman believers. He did not write Romans, don't be confused with that, but he wrote two Roman believers who at the time were suffering because of their faith. Um, it's believed, according to records from second century church fathers, that, that he derived a good portion of his gospel from Peter while living in Rome. And so he is getting these firsthand accounts and writing them down for two, uh, for two purposes. One, to help these uh, Roman believers understand that Jesus can relate to them. He can relate to their suffering. And two, he wanted them to know that Jesus had miraculous power to deliver them from whatever terrible things they were experiencing. And so these Romans, being very action-oriented and very concerned um, about doing and not so much about talking, okay? They weren't deep thinkers. They were all about action and do and go. And so you find in Mark's gospel, it's the shortest. Mark's account is the shortest. What, 16 chapters, right? It's the shortest account. But, and I should say, 
And it includes the least amount of Jesus' teaching. The least amount of his teaching. You won't find big, long sections of teaching in, in Mark. But what you, will, what you will find is the most miracles. Mark's short account records more miracles of any of the other three. And so he is speaking to this need. And from his account, he shows these uh, Roman believers that Jesus is a suffering servant. A key verse. is Mark chapter 10. Turn there with me. I'm just going to read just a couple verses. Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45. Look there with me, please. If you're there, say amen. Amen, all right. 10, 42 through 45. So Jesus called his disciples together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we see uh, in this, we see both emphasis uh, of Mark. We see Jesus came to, to serve and he came to suffer. He came... Um, not only to suffer and die, but he came with miraculous power uh, to deliver us. And so for those people who, uh, like these Romans and perhaps you today, need to see God's miraculous power at work in your life in order for you to express faith for the first time or the next time, I would encourage you to read the account of Mark. He speaks to that need. You following me so far? Hopefully giving you a, a, a big picture. Okay, so down here, we've got Luke. Now, as I said earlier, Luke is the only non-Jewish non author of any Bible book. He actually wrote two. Do you know the other one? Acts, right. And so Luke ministered alongside the Apostle Paul, and he probably wrote, we, the, the best guess is that he wrote his... Uh, book while Paul was in prison in Caesarea. Okay, so Paul's in prison. Luke is there uh, waiting for his release sometime around 60, 63 AD. And so while he's waiting for Paul, he's out collecting facts and collecting information and laying it out and composing this account. I, um, his audience was Greek-speaking Gentile believers, okay, who needed to see the facts. Maybe not necessarily believers, but Greek-speaking Gentiles, period, who needed to see the facts before they expressed faith in Christ. The Greeks, especially, uh, they were deep thinkers. They, they liked to talk, and they liked to debate. And so he wanted, when he and Paul went on their missionary journeys, he wanted to have an account of Jesus' life where he could show them the facts and say, look, here's the facts. Jesus was a real man. He had a real birth, a real life, a real death, and a tangible resurrection that was witnessed by more than 500 people. He is a real person. And so you see in Luke's account uh, that he emphasizes the humanity of Jesus. Which is why 
we see that Jesus is often referred to in his account as being the Son of Man. Now, John spoke about this last week and how this is equal man, right? Equality, is that correct, John? Yep, spoke about this humanity. And that was a, 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 a very big deal because there was heresy surrounding that as well. And so Luke emphasizes the humanity of Christ and the facts. This was for people who, you know what? They just wanted to take the emotion out of this choice. Just show me the facts that he was real. What did he do? You know, where did he live? Uh, what happened to him and, and, and so forth. And so the key verses for Luke, if you go to Luke chapter 1, starts right into it. Go to Luke 1, verse 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. And so we see there, Luke's account is speaking to those who need to see the facts. And so if that's you today, if you're like, man, just my faith is struggling, get into Luke's account. If, if the facts are things that you uh, specifically care about, Luke will definitely minister to that need. All right, the last account is from John. And so we see Matthew, probably 65, Mark, probably 55, 65 A.D., Luke is 60 to 63 AD, somewhere in there. Already they're speaking to different people. We have unbelieving Jews. We have believing Romans. So these are Gentile believers. These, these are Greeks. These are, again, these are for Gentiles primarily. Different emphasis. This is about God's promise. Keep, God keeps his promises. Jesus is relatable, but he has miraculous power to deliver you. Uh, Jesus was uh, a human, right? He emphasizes this, the reality of Jesus' life. And so here's John, okay? John is the last writer, probably somewhere uh, like 80 to 95 AD is, is the estimate, okay? So John is in Ephesus at this time. And there was a heresy going around that Jesus was not divine, he was not divine. And so the Ephesian elders, the leaders of that church, asked John to write an account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that focused on Jesus' divinity. And so he did that. That was his primary purpose. And so you'll see in his account, Jesus referred to frequently as the Son of God. Okay, and he is writing to both Jews and Gentiles, anyone basically who wants to learn about Jesus. Um, but not only did he emphasize Jesus' divinity, he went through and he filled in some of the gaps. He filled in some of the parts of Jesus' life that weren't emphasized quite as much by these other writers, why, which is why you'll find in John chapter 1, uh, uh, mentions of Jesus' origins, pr 
pre, before he was born, like where was Jesus before he was born. You see uh, a lot of detail in regards to the, the Passion Week, the week leading up to Jesus' uh, death and crucifixion. You read a lot about what, uh, where Jesus was after he rose from the grave from John. And John finishes, as the last writer, what is the very last thing that John records in his gospel? I didn't list this as necessarily a key verse, but he says in John 21, 25, if you want to turn there, 21, 25, Jesus also did many other things, and if they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. And so John finishes as the last writer, just saying, listen, we four have written, we've emphasized different aspects of Jesus' existence, Um, And we've written to different audiences for different reasons. And yet, we could never write down everything that he possibly did. It would just fill too many volumes. Um, The key verse that I see here in John is John 1.16. There are two. John 1.16. Kind of an inside joke in my uh, family right now. So one of my kids mentioned last night because the children we've been practicing these the memory verses that the the children elementary and preschool children are are uh, memorizing each month and last month it was john 3 16 and this month it's second timothy 3 16 and here i am reading john 1 16 and my son said are we just focusing on all the 16s are like those are those all the best verses in the bible or what you know, so it's just coincidence. So look, John's uh, 1.16, he writes, From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God, speaking of Jesus, is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed God to us. And so we see uh, John getting right to the point with these people that, listen, Jesus is divine. He is the Son of God. And we know, most of us know John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son. Everyone believes in him, will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son to save the world. Uh, It continues in verse 13. And so John emphasizes Jesus' divinity and he speaks to the need of those who need, like myself, to experience God's love prior to coming to faith. And maybe that's you as well. Maybe you are like, man, you know, I can live with those unmet expectations. I can live with a lack of facts or with some suffering for my faith just so long as I know that God loves me. And that's, if that's you, that's where John will speak. So the question for us as we kind of wrap today is, what do you need to express faith in Jesus? Maybe for the first time or for the next time. Maybe for today or tomorrow or this Wednesday when you wake up and you're just like, man, you know what? I just, I don't know about this. I don't know about following Christ. Or if you ever wake up and that is your attitude, what do you need? My guess is that one of these accounts is going to speak to that need. If you need a savior, or if you need God to keep his promises in your life for protection or provision, I want to point you to Matthew. If you need a suffering servant, if you're going through a difficult time and you need to know that, that Jesus knows what it's like to suffer and that he has the miraculous power to deliver you, then I would point you to Mark. 
if you're a factual person, you just want to take the emotion out of it, then I would say go to Luke and read the facts that he puts uh, together. If you need to experience God's love, then I would encourage you to read through John's uh, gospel account because he's going to point you in that direction. Whatever you need to be strengthened in your faith, I am encouraging you today to find it in one of these accounts. Because if I know anything about the Lord, is I know that he wants each one of us to express faith in Jesus, right? He, he, that's why he went through the trouble of having four different guys at different times to different audiences speak to these four different needs and, and emphasize the various parts of Jesus' existence in this way because he just knows that throughout time, humanity will continue to have these needs. And you know what? It might vary. I can tell you there are times when, you know, it wasn't so much about experiencing God's love. I just really wanted to see the facts that day. Or I was going through a rough time. I really wanted to know that God knew what it's like to be in my shoes and so forth. And you're going to go through that too. And that's completely normal, which is why, again, we come back to these accounts. And in our Bible reading, I would just continue to encourage you to get in to these accounts, stay in them, read through them, especially as you now see kind of how each audience represented a need and how that gospel writer was trying to speak to that. I hope this helps you today. I had actually never seen or been taught this like, like this before. So I hope it blesses you. It kind of was prompted by something that I had heard in um, just about uh, the one gospel but four accounts. And as I started studying, I thought, hmm, that looks good. Um, at Cornerstone Church, just in summary here and wrapping up, we will continue to unify and come together around Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. Okay, you will not find me teaching the latest, greatest in psychology or in counseling, right? I'm not a counselor or a psychologist. I'm a minister of God's word and anyone who teaches from this pulpit will be teaching from God's word. And we will keep our focus on Christ. I was going to ask you to say amen, but I think you agree. So why don't you stand and pray with me today? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name, that powerful name, the name that is above every other name, the name that all saints through all time have looked to for hope and for joy and for strengthening in their faith. And we, today, do exactly that. Father, I'm not exactly sure where, where uh, my friends are at today. Uh, but Lord, I, you, I know that you do. And I pray that whatever they need to be strengthened in their faith, to grow in their faith today and this week, I pray that you would just minister to that need. I pray you would draw them into your scriptures, into these accounts, and just let them be ministered to just as these uh, writers were ministering to, to people in their time. Lord, let that, that same effect uh, be felt for them. And Lord, I just pronounce a, a blessing upon them today. I pronounce your blessing of your presence, that you would go with them every step this week. God, that you would lead them in triumph, lead them in victory. Lord God, every obstacle that they face, I pray that you would move that 
out of the way. As they speak your name, may the obstacles in their way be removed. God, you said if, if one had just the tiniest faith, they could speak to that mountain and it would be moved and cast into the sea. And so we speak your name over the obstacles of this congregation, these families will face this week and pr pray that you would just create a, a, a smooth path for them, God. Uh, uh, just give them a, a wonderful week in your presence and in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.